Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And sometimes when I hold this microphone, I feel like I'm, I'm on stage and I'm doing like a, you know, where they grab the microphone stand and they lean into it and they oh, start yeah. screaming. I was I, thinking more stand up, right? But no, you're like, you're a rock no, star. No, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm going to really get into it and lean over the crowd. And, except nobody's here <laughs> showing me their boobs. So that's probably, nobody's throwing their panties at me on stage. That's or what anything. it would take, huh? That's got to be one of the biggest benefits of, although... I don't know that I. <laughs> How is that? Uh, no money, fame. No, just, just, just no. boobs and panties no. getting thrown at you on stage. It's got to feel pretty good. Just getting unsolicited, <laughs> unsolicited boobs all the time. That's got to be. It's got to be a huge. You, thing. Are you a twelve-year-old? Aren't we all? Yes. I mean, that's. Yes, I mean, we we're, we're still. Well, what did I just get you for your birthday? <laughs> You got me all of night, all of Playboy from 1981. That's probably why I have boobs on my mind. All of Playboy 1981, which, which is a great gift. Which was, of course, your birth year. What's funny is 40 I 40 years ago, you old, dirty man. Oh, man. Jesus. So when I got my car, I was like thinking of cool things I could get by my car. I bought all of 1972 Penthouse. Which, that's the dirty bank. Which is the dirty bank. But I wanted to look at all the ads, which is what's really incredible about yeah. all this stuff is the ads are so so good and very unique and they're very masculine and manly and dangerous right. they obviously and know their audience so 100 it's, it's very cool it's all stereos cars and boots <laughs> and that's that's pretty much what it all lots comes down to lots of cigarettes and lots of back cigarettes back in the day yeah 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 because yeah. you were you were needing those with all the chicks you were hanging out with is that what it is i'm assuming that's that's probably what's going on um before we get into uh what's going on with your projects and stuff like that what have you got for us yeah let's take a minute to talk about patreon Guys, patreon.com slash overcrest. That's where you need to go. For as little as $5 a month, you can sign up to support the show, get exclusive content, be in on kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. We usually give out, um, besides just exclusive content, right. we usually will post updates there. You get all the episodes right away as yep. well. as another Episodes benefit. are early, yep. Um, what else do we do for those guys? We have, uh, you can get prints, you can get shirts, you can get, I mean, we have got a phone number there. If you want to call and leave us a voicemail, we'll play your voicemail on the air if it's good or maybe even if it's not good and we want to <laughs> laugh at you, we can probably do that as well. Anyway, it's just a great way to support us, support the show. We have, uh, we've been saving the money that we've been getting for Patreon and, um, we have a guest coming on Monday, uh-huh. which is which is Frank from Ed Pink Racing Engines, and they built the engine for the ACS. Yes, which and, is the Singer Safari car that you despise. I don't. I know that's the way that it got taken. Is that uh-huh. I despise the car. I despise the mentality of, of things that don't get. And used. what did Ed just tell you on the phone? He says that they are planning on taking it somewhere to do something with it, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, well, I will more than happily eat my words to see the tool used. I'm more than happy to do that. I will right. celebrate being wrong in that case. But the thing is, is that it's an event which is very broad. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it, so I'm not... Regardless, it's a public racing event. It is a public racing say. event that, that so maybe... we were like, well, let's well, go let's there. Let's go. We've got enough money. We could fly there and and hang out, and it's probably going to be like a $4,000 trip, but let's go. Let's do it. Let's, <laughs> let's go be there. Let's see it. It'd be awesome. Anyway, that's what we would love to do with the Patreon money when you sign we up We want to reinvest it, and that would, of course, yep. be great content yeah, for you guys. Yeah, we could go, and, and we could show you what's going on. Maybe we could make a short film. There's all these different ideas that we have, and Patreon.com is how you support that, how you help make that happen for us, and inevitably, for 
you, right. which is what it's all. You're actually reinvesting in yourself well, by joining up. As corny as it is, this is a passion project for us. And oh, we, totally. haven't, we haven't taken a single dollar out no, of it. No, three years, I've, I've made it none, nothing. Right. It's just all gets poured actually, back in. Actually, we've made much, much negative money. Uh, well, it's probably okay now. I think, <laughs> I think we're, we're finally okay um, with but this. But the point is, yeah, this is such a passion project for us that we want to reinvest into it and make bigger, better, greater things happen. Exactly, exactly. So, so overcrest.com slash Patreon. That is incorrect. It is patreon.com slash overcrest. The other one you know what? I'm going to make the URL that redirects just so I have to stop <laughs> correcting myself. I'm going to make a note right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jake's 404 website. Got it. Yes. All right. So what's going on with you? You have I the have 996. Been, uh, I've been busy. You're always... So every... Guys, <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. I call Jake all the time and there is not one instance where I go, hey, what are you doing? He's, and he's never says nothing. It's, it's the answer is never I'm doing nothing. Well, usually the you're is always upset with me because I'm there's like there's something going on in the there's background. always something going on. So I called him last all he's shaking a paint can <laughs> as he answers the phone. Previously, he's pounding in nails on a stair. Time before that, he's using a hammer drill. He's yeah. always doing something. and He has these stupid AirPods that he's got in his ears, which yeah. amplify every sound. So yeah, if you ever call Jake on the canceling. phone, <laughs> uh, well, they're not noise canceling for me. Right. That is for sure on the right. phone. But you're always doing something. I just stop. Just stop doing what you're doing and do the phone thing with me is what, I, what I'm always after. <laughs> but Jake cannot do nothing. Right. I do lots of nothing. I go home. I do lots of nothing. Lots, like, of, lots nothing. of nothing. Lots of very quiet you nothing. You are like an expert at doing nothing. I love doing nothing. I can't stand it. I know. <laughs> when we get done doing the podcast episode, you're like wandering. You're like, there's like a little paint circle worn on the floor over there from you like turning in circles as I edit the podcast because yeah. you feel bad leaving before I'm done. Right. It's crazy. Anyway, so you've been working on something predictably. Yeah, so my lift is finally installed, good to go. I've had the cars up on it. And so I had the 996 turbo up on it and I had an O2 sensor code being thrown. Okay. okay. Not a big deal. I mean, it's a it's a so what, it, 17 year old car at this point. Yeah. You buy an old car, 18 year old car. You buy an old car, you expect to have to maintain it. I'm sure. fine with that. So I got it up on the lift and I pull the old O2 sensor out. I got the new Bosch name brand replacement. How much Comes was that? With, oh, I'm sure it was way too expensive. What do you, you don't even know how much it was? I bought it a while ago. Okay. I don't pay attention to these things. Oh, it's better not to. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's better not to. But, you know, because it had to have the Porsche little, like, uh, socket have a on the end plug? of it. Oh, yes. Okay. Of course it does. I could have just bought the generic and, like, actually wired it up correctly, but whatever. So, no, it's a nice car. You want to have the right stuff. I exactly. So I take the old one out, and to get to it, I could drop the exhaust. That would be the easy, probably the correct way to do it, yep. is actually to drop the exhaust back there and then take it out. Because it's Where facing it? up off of the exhaust. This is the pre-cat. Yep. So it's right behind the turbo, facing up. So people up. I need to remember this is a, a Rear flat, engine car. Rear engine, six. flat six engine. So the mufflers are usually kind of like down and below the engine. Right. Like towards the back. So they kind of, so it's not is, like it's just like a, a, a regular engine where the O2 sensor is like just like there. feet of pipe. Yeah, the O2 sensor is like, change me anytime. Let's go. <laughs> no, this one is right behind the turbo before the cat pointing straight up at a heat shield that is right on the frame rail. Okay, so it's, ba it's basically baking. Yes. yes. Well, first of all, yeah, I had to let it cool down a lot. Yeah. I tried doing that by, like, just wearing gloves. That was hot. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Very hot. So, Imagine you not being able to be patient enough. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I get my wrench in there. I break it loose. Good. But then I realized the stupid wire has that kind of casing around it so it doesn't fry. Yeah. But it's very stiff. So I can't, I can't unscrew it as is without removing the wire. Right. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just Well, they snip. have a tool that goes around the wire. Oh, I have that. Okay. But I still couldn't, I couldn't un... It was too, it was too baked. 
the wire was too stiff to yeah. unscrew it. Gotcha. You know, the five so revolutions just cut, you need. cut the wire. So I just cut the wire off, unscrewed it. I put the new one in, buckled it up, all good to go. I then did the, um, I'll get to this in a minute, but I also replaced a little cool pint, coolant pipe gasket on the bottom of the engine. Okay. How much, how much coolant is in these things? I imagine because you have your radiators up front. There's yes, all and this is the three radiator this is like you could get an upgrade to get a center radiator as well as the two side radiators. So is there radiators. one in the front? There's one in the front and two on each of the... Well, the they're scoops. all three are front. Okay. Oh, the scoop. Is there scoops in the rear that pull Those it are in? intercoolers. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so there's three radiators up front. The third one's it's an It's basically option. a Veyron at this point. Right. There's a ton of radiators. <laughs> Six gallons of coolant, Chris. Special coolant. Yes, Porsche brand coolant. <laughs> yes, of course. Naturally. Yeah. So that what, was What color fun. is it? Is it pink or blue? It's pink orange. Yeah, so it's, it's G12. Basically G12, but yeah. it's not. I checked. It's not it's G12. It's like G11.9532. Yeah, so it's not it's, quite the no, same. No, it's not quite. You know what you this reminds me of? Is when you go to you go to like Walmart or Best Buy or Target or anything, and you're like, oh, look at this widget here. It's 1099. Uh-huh. It's a model 123. Yeah. And you go, I'm going to price match that. And you go on Best Buy's website and they go, there it is. It's the same thing. No. Model 122. <laughs> and then they just change the model number so nobody can price match each other. It's the same thing. Yes. So specialty coolant. That's why I posted a picture of me sitting in the Tycon because I was there. And then it's kind of sad. At the Porsche dealership, guess what they have now? A sea of Macans. Mm-hmm. And in the showroom floor, like five Tycons. There's no sports cars to be found. Well, to be fair, it's winter, it's winter in Minnesota. In Minnesota. So there's right. going to be a lot of, of the SUVs. Right. It's going to be. But it was just kind of sad. So they're like, oh, yeah, hop in the Tycon. Those guys know me at Porsche yeah. St. Paul. And so I, yeah, that was it's just fun. sad in it for a little bit. Yep. Well, my $280 worth of coolant was being put together. Jesus Christ. Jesus. <laughs> so anyways, I get that set to go. I drop the car down. I go to turn it up, turn it on. Like after I cleared the codes, nothing, no start. It'll crank. I'm like, what the hell? Is there some like immobilizer since I lifted it off its wheels or something weird? So I call my good friend, Ben, who happens to be a certified Porsche mechanic. And I go, Ben, what's going on? He goes, well, what did you do? Like, yeah, I changed the O2 sensor, and first thing he says, you didn't cut the wires, did you? I go, N- yes. He goes, did you unplug it from the harness first? Well, no, the car's off. He goes, did you unplug the battery? No, why would I? There's, was, there's no voltage going to it. He goes, you fried your DME, which is, Porsche speak, for the ECU in the entire- What does DME stand for? Digital motor thing. Equipment. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I looked it up and now I can't remember what it is. DME, it's basically the ECU in Porsche speak. Okay. He goes, I've heard of this three different times. Is Porsche speak also German speak? No, it's different. Okay. Because this is probably a translation of German speak, Porsche speak. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, He goes, I've heard of this three different times, exactly same thing. Guys, cut the O2 sensor, fry their whole computer. Ooh. And how much is a computer? And he goes, it's going to be about four grand for the ECU itself. I'm out. Thanks for listening. This is the end he of the podcast. He says, <laughs> then it needs to be a Porsche specific, like we have to program it for you to work with your dash and with oh, yeah, your mobilizer and everything else. So that makes sense. you're going to have to tow it to us. Mm. I don't know if we can get this ECU anymore even. Like it's probably hard to find. And I was so crestfallen. I was so upset with myself. Well, why? It's not your fault. I know. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. But I was just disappointed, right? So right. this was like, I, I haven't been this low in a yeah, while. Yeah, that's pretty low. And so I was like, you're damn like, it. I was like, all right, I know you're at work. Like, sorry, thanks. Or thanks, sorry, whatever. Yeah. And so I go inside and I just start Googling. I'm like, what if it's something else? Can I find these used? And every single 
thing I find on every forum post is like, oh yeah, you cut the O2 sensor, you're screwed. You're, you're screwed. You idiot. You idiot, you fried the DME, <laughs> you're done. And I'm finding used ones, but Ben's like, if you have these used ones, then you also need the key and the transponder and all this other crap to go with it. And you need the VIN number because they have to like reprogram everything. I so it may not nightmare. work. It may not work. And this year, car is made in what year? Oh, three. Okay, imagine anything like this, like a 2020. Like oh, I know. Anything. Right. And so I finally, I call you and you're like, I don't know, try unplugging the battery. Like just do simple stuff first. Yeah, yeah. So I unplug the battery. I go through every single fuse in the fuse box. Okay. And I come across one and it's burnt. Aha. What's the amperage on it? 30. 30. There's 30 amps going to the... <laughs> and so I'm like, well, that's that odd. must be the heater I'm, for it I'm assuming something. it's not going to be the issue because I'm assuming I'm done, right? right. I, I'm screwed. So I'm like, oh, I wonder what this was. And I look and it says O2 sensor on it. Aha. And I replace it and it fires right up. And I call Ben and he says, I bet you that in 03, because of this issue, they changed it and put a dedicated fuse in that circuit. Because they got, got sick so of... so damn lucky. How many techs do you think cut it? Probably a lot. They just cut it and we're like, right. oh yeah. Because they're looking at the same thing I am. Okay, well, you can't really get it out by untwisting it. So you just cut it every time. Right. So I went from being so depressed to so ecstatic <laughs> in like 20 minutes. This is this is Jake in a nutshell. It basically was. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. And then I treated the car to new underbody panels because in Texas, apparently you remove those and don't care about them. So I got some of those. Um, also, this car has Olin's coilovers on all four corners. The thing is stiff. It's too much. Well, what's stiff about it is, first of all, he remember he was like, oh, I'll, I'll dial them down. The previous owner said, oh, I'll yep. dial them down for you. They were still on almost full stiff. Okay, that's the problem. Yes. Got it. But it also has all uh, monoball solid control arms. I cannot. Everywhere. I don't understand. If you're not on track regularly. If it's not a dedicated track car, do not need mind. solid anything. No. Rubber is your friend. <laughs> it's your friend. Yes. You're, you're not setting lap times. I mean, everybody likes to modify and evolve their car. Sure. And at some point you get But to this the, was a bad modification. Yeah, this is too much. Yeah, it's just harsh, right? So I might, I have all the original control arms. I might put them back on. Put them back in. You'll, you'll be much happier. Yeah. Regardless, I had another one of our friend, uh, Colin, sent me this forum post. He's like, hey, have you seen this? And Olin's has this huge recall notice. Any uh, Carrera 4S's or the turbos from 996 and 997 model year, they're recalling all Olin struts. For what? Um, it's actually a National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, NHTSA, full recall and notice. I didn't know that they... Th for aftermarket parts, for I didn't know that. Okay. I didn't know that either. Um, and I don't think they normally do, but Olin's, from what I've been reading, is a very stand-up company, and they're like TUV approved and all the German stuff. Sure. So I think they kind of went above and beyond to get okay. this recall notice out there. Well, maybe in the EU, you have to be right. TUV approved. that could be. So if, if you don't abide by this, then bye. Right. Yeah. Um, from what I can tell, it's something about the strut top nut coming loose, and so it'll basically or it'll strip out or something. I don't know the specifics of what the actual reason for the recall was, but they're sending me all new struts. That's awesome. Free of cost and- Front and rear. They're just fronts. Okay. But they're paying me $490 to basically do it. Wait, what? They're because not only are they replacing it, they're paying $490 for the labor. The labor. Well, I'm obviously going to do it myself. Wow. Isn't that, have you ever heard of that? That is stand-up. That is super good on, stand good on them. So shout out to Olin's. Those are going to be coming at some point. So I, I asked the guy, though, do I have to send him my old ones before you send me the new ones? And I haven't heard back from him. Okay. I, uh, that would suck because that's not really local. 
Right. I'm curious. What I'm most uh, curious about is if you've torn into your stupid motorcycle. Yet. Yes. I I started to extinguish the flames, Chris. Oh, because okay. remember the tank was flamed. Yeah. So I'm like, I put aircraft. You do realize it. that that is the most undesirable Harley engine ever made. An Ironhead. That's like that integrated, like transmission is part of the. All sportsters are integrated. I know, but that's. Not, it's why, not the big twin. Why don't you take that motor out and put a real Harley motor in it? Because then you need a different frame. No, I don't want a big twin. I want the Sportster Ironhead. That's why I bought this bike. <laughs> you bought this bike for, from what I could tell. What, you've been for, Googling Harleys now? We, we had a big conversation about it with me and my buddies. And okay. they say it's a leaky disaster. And it's oh, super, 100%. Super undesirable. Yeah, there's a big puddle underneath it right now. Is there really? <laughs> well, not a big one, but a little one. It'll yeah. be big enough by the time. You, well, I, in, in your case, it might be done tomorrow. So we'll see how. Hey, I'm really busy. <laughs> <laughs> so I stripped the tank down. Uh, my new Magneto is coming today. It's probably on my doorstep right now. Yep. And I pulled the carb off to rebuild that because I want to. What kind of carburetor I, does this have? This is. <laughs> what kind of carbs are on my Porsche that everyone hates? Delordos? No, Zenith. It has, it has a Zenith? A Zenith. <laughs> oh, no. It's different company. It's an American Zenith as opposed to European Zenith. Okay. Both carburetor companies from, like, the same era. Yeah. It's very strange. But it's, like, the simplest carburetor out there. It's a single jet with an accelerator pump, and that's basically all of the components in the that's whole it. thing. Does it have a choke? It has a mechanical choke that you, okay. can, like, just... reach down and just... Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. kind of dig that. And it's a kickstart, no battery. Uh, it will be. Oh, so you have to convert it over. Do, well, they, I, uh, do they have a kickstart always with an extra battery as well? From early up until like 72 or something, they were kickstart and battery. Okay. Yeah. But I, this newer one, because this is 78, it wasn't, they didn't, they removed the kickstart and it has the battery, but right. I want super lightweight, simple, everything. So it's going to be kickstart only, magneto, don't need a battery. Bare and bones. Yeah, that'll be that'll be great. So you went from having a regular battery <laughs> to having a little tiny battery uh-huh. to you're the battery. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Got exactly. It. Um, I also call you're the up. busiest guy in the world. When we come to what I've got going on, the answer is nothing. <laughs> well, you're a practitioner of nothing. Yeah. yeah you're very good at that. I also found uh, I called you this afternoon, and what did I say? I don't remember. Oh, you're going to buy a truck. Yeah. Tell I, me about this truck. Well, I might buy a truck and a Vespa for us. A truck and a Vespa for us. Well, the truck is a square body C10. Like I have, but not the year you hate. It's the year you like, actually. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, Where are you going to put this? Um, I'm probably going to have to get some sort of also like a, a shop or something. We should get in. a shop for the podcast. I agree. Yeah, I we, should get, we should get a shop. But this I'm basically just going to build up and then flip because I have a uh-huh. guy that offered me really, really good money for the truck I bought. Yep. And he's like, build me another one. I will buy them all day long, every day. Wow. Okay. So so maybe we do need a shop. So we, we can be Jake's shop. C10 shop. Exactly. And, and C10s are so, Harleys. I think you would actually love to work in these C10s. They're so simple. Everything can be put together with a hammer. And parts are available. <laughs> parts are available everywhere at every corner auto shop. I for do want to build some dom- old domestic something. Yeah. I don't know what it is yet. I always kind of lean doing like some old Cadillac, yeah. like some old land barge. It's kind of what well, I, I was found. Lean to, I but... found a, a place that has like really cool old toys. Yeah. And that's where I found this. Uh huh. And I'll send you the link so you can. So what do you... a, there's some other cool American stuff. What are you going to do with the Vespa? Uh, probably give it to you because you really wanted one. What? 
Well, I don't know for sure. It'll be a, a podcast Vespa. How about that? Okay, I can go with that. But my plan is to try to work it in the deal with the truck. Okay. I don't want a Vespa, but you have the longest time have been like, I want an old Vespa. I do. I, what I want to do. It's the stupidest thing. <laughs> the stupidest thing. This coming idea. from the guy that's got a moped hanging on his wall of his uh, sister's ice cream shop. Oh, yeah. See, you're a moped scooter guy. What do you? Th- why are you freaking out at me for wanting a Vespa? I don't know. They're dumb. <laughs> No, they're, they're toilets. No, they're, they're literally toilets. Anything that you sit on with your feet in front of you and go, <laughs> it's, it's a toilet. So position. I've been wanting to go to Sturgis for a really long time. Yeah, I, I wanna, do too. I really want to go to Sturgis. Just as an experience. And I'm like, but what? you want to go I wanna, ironically. I do. You, and that's what pisses me off. <laughs> I get that it's kind of redneck. It's kind of, I don't know. I don't want to offend anyone. I still want to go and I love Harleys. I want to build up my bike and go out there just to experience it, yeah. right? You want to be ironic about it and be no. an idiot hipster who's going to make fun of everyone out there on your Vespa. No, I want the, it, A, I'm not going to get a motorcycle license. Never going to happen. Why? I don't know. I just don't want a motorcycle. B, I want to make an adventure out of it. Uh-huh. I don't want to get there in one day and just be like, well, I'm here. I've thought about doing two, one of two things. One, this is ridiculous, but I think this would be a lot of fun, is you know the little mini bikes? Yes. <laughs> just like the, just not the, not yeah, a little five horse, not a, pit bike, and, not a pit bike, no, no, a no, mini bike. Old school 60s mini bike. Yeah. I, I would think. more engine. Uh, a la uh, Dumb and Dumber. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's so warm. Yes. A la Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I would love to drive one of those. You've had two sets of gloves this entire time? <laughs> yeah. It's the Rockies. <laughs> yeah. It's North Dakota. I, w- I would love to. I'd, I would probably hate it by day three. But imagine driving one of those to Sturgis on back roads. You're just going to be on the shoulder Putting no. along at maybe 12 miles an hour. They go, they go like 20. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. But I, even, even me, I just don't know if I can handle that kind of punishment. There's no suspension. The wheels are small. Every crack, bump, road, everything. I don't know that I can do it. So um, I've got a Vespa. One of my other buddies has a Vespa. You have a Vespa? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I do now. Um, <laughs> I, I even bought this and I haven't given it to you Well, you, you can't tease me like that then. That's all I've been thinking about all day. Jerk. Well, now you have to buy it. You cannot not buy it. If you don't buy the truck, you still have to buy the Vespa for me because you've already made me emotionally attached to the thing I've never seen. Okay. So a couple of my friends have Vespas that they're restoring. Uh-huh. And so I want a Vespa. And then uh, my buddy Chad is going to buy a Ruckus. So he's kind of like kind of not going to be as cool as the rest of us, uh-huh. but he's going to buy one of those. And we're all going to drive him to Sturgis. And you could come if you would buy something cool, but you've got a stupid Harley with flames on Which it. Which is what Sturgis is about. So you're going to be just like wiggling. You're going to be meandering back and forth, going so slow. It'll trying- fit my personality. <laughs> <laughs> so much faster than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, right. So that's kind of the plan. So I'd like to go to Sturgis, but I want to make an adventure out of it. I want to make it unique. It could be an adventure just going on old Harleys, too. Yeah, I just don't. Harleys don't do anything you, I, in theory, at, you should like these. The heritage of it, they're built right in Wisconsin where you're from, like not a stone's throw from where you grew up, right? They're right there. They have heritage. They were in the war. They basically mobilized American troops in the war. Like everything about Harleys is cool, but you don't everything like about is the, co- like the, the, what should I say? The, the identifier. modern image. Yes, the identifier. Everybody has, there's all kinds of identifiers for everything, for everyone. The clothes you wear, what you drive, the house you buy, where you live, the furniture you buy, what you watch on TV, the brand of television you buy, the keychain you have, everything. 
There's all kinds of identifiers for who you are and yep. what kind of personality you have. And a Harley is a certain type of person so, that is undeniable. Let me and get it's this not straight. me. So I, re- I, my, let me, so, okay, some let of, me hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me just finish. And then you can tell me that you think I'm wrong. Uh-huh. And then I, after that, I can tell you that you're wrong. So <laughs> I have a lot of overcrest summed up. <laughs> <laughs> some of my family members have Harleys, uh-huh. but they're all like really blue collar worker dudes. It's sure. not, it's not me. That's not who I am, and I don't want to. I don't want to pretend to be something that I am not. And I feel like if I own a Harley, that's what I'm doing, which is kind of like why I don't like you doing Harley stuff because you're not really that blue collar guy. Although you are very handy and you do work on a lot of things, so you're. I am a certified mechanic, sir. Well, I'm talking like blue collar, like carpenter, plumber, electrician, I am union all of those guy. Things. You, yes, you are. I know you're always working on banging away on something, whatever, yes. whenever I call you. But, but that's not me. Like I don't, like I hire out my housework. I don't <laughs> I'm do it. Too good to. I do just, anything. I fuck it up every time. <laughs> I'm not good at it. I, everything's crooked. Nothing lines up. I measure this shit like nine thousand times. Yet somehow it's too small or too big. I don't understand. Oh, I forgot to take in the width of the the sixteenth inch sog. Like all this stupid stuff. I just don't like it. I don't like doing it. And all those dudes that are super good at that. It's just, it's, it's not me. Okay. So what I'm getting out of this is you don't like Harleys because the guy that claims to not care what anyone gives a damn, don't give a damn what anyone thinks about me. You don't like Harleys because you're worried what everyone's going to think of you. I worry about what I think of me. Uh I don't want to do something and be somebody I'm not. It doesn't necessarily have to do with what other people think of me. It's just that's, it's the same reason that I don't own a, uh, I would love to drive a Hellcat, but it's not me. I just not, it's not who I am. That's not the identifier that I that I am. That's not me. That's just it isn't. Well, this is me. Okay. <laughs> the Harley nobody wants. Got it. Just, yeah, that, 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 that's you. Uh, with that, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Akin Driving Gear. They're founded by true enthusiasts who create everyday gear that celebrates the act of driving or riding, Chris. I could ride my motorcycle with these shoes on too. The Akin driving shoes are designed not just for track days, but for everyday use. They're more versatile than dedicated racing shoes and are far better for driving than just your your average running shoe. The Shift is the model. It's the modern sneaker for those who love to drive. They feature a rounded heel for more comfortable foot movement on the pedals and the unique heel toe guard prevents scuffing during any of that technical pedal work. Check out the Shift driving shoes along with their other apparel at Akin gear.com that's a-k-i-n gear.com and be sure to use the code overcrest for free priority shipping in the u.s so i don't have a ton going on i did have lazy lazy well first thing is i was waiting for parts for the truck because i i got into that rust right. repair stuff and yeah I was like, so oh. i saw someone dropped off yeah uh, bodenberg Fed- he's uh he dropped off the entire front end or the half of a front end of a cabbie okay so it went from holy shit how am I going to do this? This looks really bad. Oh my God. Hold on. I just remembered I received a message on Instagram saying someone was very upset with you and respects you less because you don't like Harleys. Just Not now? just now, but I remembered just now that I had gotten one of those. Before. I didn't say I don't like Harleys. You just did. I kind of don't like Harleys very much. <laughs> yeah, I like older Harleys. I think they're pretty cool, but the, no, whole, like, the whole like, they're so, they sound so hideous. Yeah. That flap, it sounds like a, it sounds like a so bicycle wheel that someone plugged into a 4,000-watt stereo and turned it all the way up. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. It's a little bicycle. I just, I can't. They're awful. They it's sound actually, terrible. Actually, it has to do with the uneven firing order of I don't the- care what it is. Okay. Well. I don't care. 
It's like, uh, do you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? It's not. It's not. It's not Lloyd telling the other dude in the truck that it's going. Eh, it's a Harley. It's they. Wow. Do you actually hear a Harley go by and go? Yeah, that sounds dope. No, I don't. Nobody. Like, it's, it's like, come on. They sound. They sound anyway, so I have the whole uh, half of a front end of a of a Volkswagen Cabriolet, which is the convertible. Uh, they had rabbit convertibles too. I'm and not so sure. I'm curious: Are all these Mark ones, be it cabby? Um, the like golf and the Jetta golf Cabriolet they're all rabbit, the same truck. They're all the same, more or less. I know caddy. You were talking about that reinforcement panel. Yep. Other than that, I mean, they are, they, they are basically, they are all basically the, same. the same from 1974 okay. to 1984. Well, I guess with Cabriolet is up to 92, 91. Wow. They're all the same. They're all the same. So you just basically cut them off. And so now I can go from the firewall forward and just go boop and just, <laughs> just delete all of that stuff. Yeah and get rid of it, and then weld this new one in. And that will actually save me a lot of time and a lot of effort. Just, that sounds like it will not be a quick process. I don't know. I I, <laughs> I don't know. I got to get the fender off, and I need to grind all. I don't know how all this, all these different things come together. Like when you're talking to the corner of a firewall where it meets the front end of the car, uh -huh. there's all kinds of different things that come in. The frame rail comes in there. The frame horn where it supports the suspension comes in there. Uh -huh. The upper strut tower, that ties into the frame rail, but also goes over to the firewall. Uh -huh. That area has to be very structurally sound to hold the front wheels. And straight. And straight. Well, I'm care less about straight. I will try to get it as straight as I can. That's what alignments are for. Yeah, exactly. Just move it around. Caster, who cares? But it has to support the engine, the drivetrain, and all the lateral forces back and forth. So there's a lot of things that kind of triangulate and come together in the corner of that firewall where it meets right that. Right where side. you're going to hack it apart. Right where I'm going to cut everything apart. So I got to cut, I got to get rid of all of the, uh, um, the undercoating and see how it's all put together. And I'm going to try, even though it's rusty, uh -huh. I'm going to try to drill out and grind all the spot welds and disassemble it. Disassemble it as it was assembled in reverse. Right. And try and see how it went together so I can put the other one back in pretty much the same spot. Do you need me to come over again and aggressively drill out and all basically of your spot welds? Ruin my spot weld bit and then destroy so I can't like re-weld anything? Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Okay, that cool. actually added a lot of extra time for me, by the way. <laughs> so when you drill out a spot weld... You don't go all the way through. You don't. You only go through the first one, then a oh, little so bit in the second one. just a little bit of a learning curve. For yeah, you just, otherwise... You, you come over, you go... Why are there all these holes in this panel? Yeah, you just drilled them out like vunk. You drilled out. So what you have to do when you do that uh -huh. is you have to get a copper, uh, a copper yeah, spoon, spoon, put yeah. it behind the hole, and and puddle in the weld, which was. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's much stronger now. It sucks because it didn't look right. It's not. It doesn't look correct. Anyway, I I, I did it and like ground it down and try to yeah, make it look yeah. as factory as possible. But anyway, but I uh, that's all I've got going on. But what I wanted to do is I saw a um, a YouTube video pop up on my feed from Haggerty uh, and Magnus Walker was driving around an M5. And I'm like, why is Magnus Walker driving around an M5? And it turns out he has a new YouTube channel. Oh, okay. And I just wanted to call him up and see what he was doing with that and, you know, check in with him and see how everything was going on with uh, with Mr. Magnus. Mr. Magnus Walker. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Good. How's it going, buddy? Pretty good. Pretty good. Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year to you. I hope all is well down there. Hey, it's 80 degrees here today in L.A., so all is pretty good. Yeah, I had to fight the slushy snow in between each, each lane of uh, traffic here, so it's basically the opposite. Yeah, I just spoke to my mom in England in Sheffield, and they got about four inches snow as well. So they get a lot of snow good there. Not really, no. But they got four inches dumped today, so uh, quite a lot of snow. I saw that uh, we did a kind of a news article a couple weeks ago that you guys named the snowplows. 
in England. Like every single snowplow had a different name. You know, I haven't lived in England in 35 years, so that one, I don't know. Does not surprise me, though. Yeah, Actually, I think that was Ireland. Was it Ireland? It was Ireland. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, the that's, gritters, they called them The there. gritters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's a whole different country over there. So, <laughs> so what's going on with you out there? What's new? What are you working on? Uh, you know, I'm... The, the goal for this year is trying to grow my beard longer. That's the goal. I'm actually growing so, my first long beard right now. This is my first go at it this winter. It's coming in pretty good. It's past the scratchy phase. Yeah, right. there you go. I look at, you know, I've had the beard almost 20 years, and I look at photos of it five years ago, 10 years ago. It's no longer. You know, it should be down to my waist by now, but I guess this is terminal length. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the goal is to try and get the beard longer. I'm dealing with split ends and... Uh, that's the goal for the year right there. Simple. Keep it simple. So I saw you in a in a BMW M5 on YouTube, and it's kind of why I wanted to talk to you is it seemed like the, you know, I'm so used to seeing you in the Porsche stuff, and obviously you've been in a few different things as of late. I've seen you in the Jag, and I think I saw you in a Rolls Royce and a few other really unique cars. And then I saw this YouTube thing pop up with this M5, and I'm like, oh, shit, that's, you know, that's uh, another one of my dream cars that's going to become out in titanium almost immediately because of, of the exposure of it. But wh what were you doing in the M5? What was that project you were working on? Well, I shot a show firm called The Next Big Thing, and essentially it's sort of my opinion or my thought process or cars that I'm actually interested in that may be slightly under the radar or not the cars that all the cool kids are driving or the underappreciated, the underdogs, the unloved, the somewhat affordable or just off the beaten track, off the radar. Uh, so that's the idea of the show. It's called The Next Big Thing. It's um, on Hagany's YouTube channel. And it came about really last minute last year. And um, we sort of went from a conversation to two or three Zoom calls to two weeks later. We shot six episodes at the beginning of December. And the first one aired last, um, last Friday, which was the M5 E39 BMW, which, you know, that's one of those cars that that silhouette is so sort of generic's not the word. But, you know, BMW is such a common car. You see them all the time out on the road. So you don't necessarily think of that M5 uh, straight away as being a really great performance car, but obviously it is, but it doesn't look like one. So it, it was a, a great car to drive. I actually drove Paul Zuckerman's. It's been slightly modified. And uh, most people don't know, I, I sort of leased BMWs over the past 20 years as the grocery getter type car. So I've experienced uh, a couple of three series BMWs and a 545, you know, sort of the, the poor man's M5 of that period. So a little bit familiar with them, but not necessarily known as a BMW guy. So for me, it was just a, a fun day, a fun drive. What was the, what was the kind of person that was going to buy one of those cars back in the day? It's, it's, it's 2001, you know, what kind of cars are they choosing between? If you're going to get an M5, what else are you thinking about getting back then? I don't know. I guess whatever the equivalent Mercedes was, you know, it doesn't obviously doesn't fall into the Porsche 911 category because, right. you know, it's got four doors, you know, and it's, uh, you well, know, it's, it's far better than anything Mercedes was doing at the time. All the AMG yeah, stuff I'm, back then was just not even on the same. Well, what world. year was that uh, e, the C36 you had? I had a C43 AMG. That was a 98. I guess it could be. It was Comparable. kind of. It was that was more of a competition with the E36 M3, I think. But even then, BMW and Mercedes were so far removed from each other in yeah. the late yeah. 90s, early 2000s. It's kind of out of my, you know, out of my sort of com not comfort zone, but ballpark on knowing who the owner was of that car because, you know. 
back then it wasn't really on my radar of right. oh get a BMW M5. You know, it's like everyone seems. You know, for me, when I think of BMW, truth be told, I'm more 2002 TII or three. You know, I always wanted a 3.0 CSL Batmobile. Oh yeah. I have a buddy back east, Phil, Mister Enthusiast, that's got an M1. So you know, my sort of area is really more 70s rather than late 90s, early 2000s, because I've actually never owned a new car. I might have leased one, but I've never owned one, and they were just sort of at the time. Uh, a bit of a necessity to have something that had four doors, you know, and I'd owned a, a XJ6 Jag and, you know, that was a completely different ballpark altogether to the BMW. So, you know, that's, that's sort of where I would go if I was BMW, I'd be a bit more vintage, but there is something really appealing about an M5 of that era because they are a quick car. They handle great. Everything's comfortable. Uh, everything's sort of where you want it to be. It's really usable. And it's one of those cars that I'm pretty sure you could put, you know, hundreds of miles on it every day as a great GT cruiser and not feel beat up or buzzed, which as I get older, that's become one of those things where it's like yesterday, I went and drove 250 miles in a Lotus that I've sort of got a, as a loaner car. And that was a car that I was surprised how comfortable it was to do that sort of distance on LA sort of very questionable freeways, you know, where they're <laughs> all grooved and sectioned and you tend to get a lot of tire drone and, you know, just road noise, not so much engine noise, but road noise. And I think that's one of the many areas where the M5 really excels is really usable to put a lot of miles on it, you know, at speed, but also at comfort. Well, when I, when I was much younger, I was like, oh yeah, just Obviously, I still like everything lowered. The lower, the better for me. It's got to be slammed. <laughs> but I was like poly bushings, spherical bushings. Let's make this thing as stiff as it could possibly be. And the older I get, I'm like, man, I just want to be able to think. I want to talk to my bride in the car. I want to be able to focus on driving. And all that other stuff is just like this jarring distraction. And yeah. I'm, all, I'm all about rubber bushings now. It's the case of getting old. I'm the exact same way. Just this week, I pulled out. I have a 67S hot rod short wheelbase car that's got everything you just described. It's low, it's stiff, there's not a lot of travel, it's on 22 and 28 millimeter torsion bars, semi-solid motor transmission mounts, all the bushings you just described. And it's pretty, I, I, this is a car I hadn't driven, I don't know, probably in six months. And I got on it on the freeway and it was just hopping and bouncing and jarring and, you know, just, it was like kind of, kind of harsh. And I'd just done 250 miles in that Lotus Evora GT. <laughs> and that had none of that. It didn't tram line. You know, it was compliant over freeway, mismatched concrete, you know, grooved sections. It didn't hop, skip, jump. Obviously, a completely different car. But just that driving dynamic of everything you described is it, fun. But I don't know how fun it is for, you know, doing 300 miles in a day on it. You kind of like rattle when you get out of it a bit. It's one of those things where you get on it and just thrash it and get it out of your system, right? It's like a three-minute three minute punk song, you know? <laughs> you just, you just, yeah, just pound cold. it out. It's like the Ramones. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So w what other cars are you thinking about having on the show that we're going to hear about? What's the, what's the next or big thing? Or is that thing? a secret? Is it a secret? Is there, can we tell no, us what no, the no, next no, big it, thing is on the no, next big thing? The next big thing is tomorrow, episode two, 9 a.m. Pacific time. I'm driving two different Jeep Wagoneers. One is a modified mm -hmm. by um, Jeep itself, a 65 sort of SEMA car with modern underpinning. So upgraded Hemi motor and suspension, length and wheelbase by five inch. So that was sort of a SEMA concept. Uh, Easter Jeep Safari Mohab type car. 
which I actually drive off-road on this little sort of technical off-road section way out in the valley. And then the same guy actually owns a 1989 Jeep Grand Wagoneer, which is sort of the complete opposite to the modified one. So that's episode two. You know, the Jeep Grand Wagoneer is sort of like, you know, Griswold's family vacation meets yeah. a Ralph Lauren ad, you know, and, <laughs> and we, we drove that out on the west side of the valley, you know, rolling hills, white picket fences, you know, horse and hound, horse and country type thing. So that's uh, episode two. Episode three, which will be next Friday, is an interesting one. Recently, I've been on the hunt for a Ferrari 308 GT4 Dino. Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing about the show is it's not the next big budget thing or it's not the next big supercar thing. I describe it as everything from a Saab 900 Turbo to a Toyota Cressida wagon and everything in between. So episode three is this Ferrari 308 GT4, which is a car on my own personal wish list. And then that one, we pair it with a uh, Lamborghini Espada. It's funny thing, a Lamborghini, you don't think of a Espada, right? right? That's not the car that you associate Lamborghini with. It has to be, I think, the Countach. She's still the poster pinup child. And that car turns 50 years old, believe it or not, the Countach oh, this year, mm. at least the prototype. So that's a pretty cool episode, driving those two cars. And the Lamborghini Espada is such an ugly, quirky, you know, such an ugly duckling car. Like the Ferrari 308 GT4, people know it's a Ferrari. It's different, but not different enough where people don't realize it's a Ferrari. But the Lamborghini Espada, you know, we drove around Hollywood. We shot part of that section at the Peterson Museum. And people's heads were turning with right. this Espada. They just didn't really know what it was. And, you know, it didn't necessarily drive nimbly. You know, it's really antiquated. It's like driving a pickup truck. It's heavy. It's not necessarily fast. But there's something really engaging about it. So that's episode three. Episode four, I drive a Dodge Viper, uh, fifth <laughs> generation, 2014 Viper, because that's another car, Mopar or no car, that you know, I've sort of wanted for some time. I, I, I want a, a Viper too at some point. I want to drive one. I just want, <laughs> there's just something about just like, it's like you're swinging a sledgehammer into a concrete wall, just expecting yeah. it to explode. I just, I want that. I, I want to feel it. I mean, 20 years ago, I used to own 269 Super Beast, so I've always liked Mopar. I remember when the Viper came out in, I believe, 91 with that R10 Roadster. I wasn't a fan of the Roadster, but the GTS, I really liked the GTS from the late 90s. That's sort of the car that I would want. And to me, they seem a lot of bang for the buck. They seem affordable. You know, it's an American sort of iconic car, I think, of that era. So anyway, we do one of those. and then, I, My uh, neighbor, when I was growing up, I lived on a little street called Emerald Street. It's where I, one of the places where I grew up. And the guy, the neighbor Irish. across the street. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm actually Welsh is my, is my oh, heritage. Close. So yeah, right, close. close. And, uh, but this, this guy had a Super B and he would, oh, he would drive. It was like oh, wow. lime green Super B and he would drive it. And I would remember running over to the window because I could hear it. Oh, so I'd sure. run over the window Rumble. and like watch this thing drive by over and over and over. Every time I would say I'll drive, it's such, they're so awesome. I mean, it's, those are these undeniably iconic cars. I had two of them. Both were 69s. One was a 440 triple black. The other one was a 383 F8 metallic green, wide interior, four speed. And, you know, I bought them at the Pomona swap meet. One of them cost me 3,500 bucks. That was a 383. And the 440, I think I paid eight grand for it. And this is mid nineties. And I, you know, I, ironically, I have a super B tattoo on my, on my arm. I don't have a Porsche tattoo. And, you know, <laughs> I loved, I really loved that B body, the Roadrunner, the Charger, the super B. Yep. So, you know, that's always a car that I've liked, but, you know, it's sort of, 
everyone knows about the Super B. I guess just like everyone knows about the Viper, but the Viper is one of those things that no one's really, they're not really out there. You don't really see them that often. You know, no one's really getting excited about the Viper. So anyway, we do a Viper episode. Then we're doing another car on my list. I I want a Jag XJS, but I want a Series 1 from the 70s. So Episode 5 is going to be a Jag XJS. We drive two of them. And then the last episode I think you guys are going to like is uh, Toyota Cressida wagons. So we we drive two, or I drive two Toyota Cressida wagons. One's owned by this really cool chick who looks like she should be on uh, Tank Girl meets Burning Man. And hers is all lowered (laughs) with this super high loud exhaust and She's got a chandelier hanging from the inside of it. <laughs> That's then, awesome. Yeah, and then and then I also drive a Mercedes. Uh, I, I guess it's a one twenty three three hundred uh, wagon, and that one's pretty cool. I drive it in Elysian Park, and then I get it down into the LA River. So you know, I'm kind of having a little bit of fun trying to put cars in places where you wouldn't necessarily always expect them. You're gonna want then, one of those three hundreds with three hundred D once the since the world is ending here in twenty twenty one. That's a pretty reliable <laughs> that's a pretty reliable vehicle. I think that was number one on my best apocalypse cars of all I time. Really? Yeah, that thing is dead reliable. The one I drove is owned by a cool kid who actually works for the Mercedes Classic Center here in LA. And it was cool, but it had no power. It really yeah, you know I there's just no real acceleration to them, but I guess obviously that's not what they're about. But uh, well, the, you imagine know, a two forty, a two forty yeah. diesel with no turbo and minus a cylinder. They're yeah. <laughs> the slowest thing I've ever driven. Uh, I've driven a few Mercedes recently. You know, the, the coolest one. I've got a video coming out later this month with the the Mercedes uh, Classic Center or the museum built it. I guess in Germany, their reinterpretation of the iconic uh, red pig. So there's one that they call the silver pig. Oh. which is uh, also more of, I guess, what you call a resto mod. It's got a modern motor with a six-speed transmission and all-new underpinnings. That thing just looks, so, th- that car is one of the, this car is going to just kill you type of things. It just yeah, looks like yeah. a beast. Like it's just flexing everywhere. It's go just, just ready. The, the one I drove, I drove it last year at Monterey. Mercedes had it there for Monterey Car Week, and I got invited to take the little cruise around Pebble Beach, which, of course, you don't even get out of second gear. So that sort of just wet my appetite. And then this time around, I actually took it in the crest, which is a road I'm pretty familiar with. And the car was surprisingly nimble, handled surprisingly well. It's a beast. I mean, it's raw. There's no sound insulation. It's like being in, you know, it's like having a chainsaw in a tumble dry. You know, it's just really, <laughs> uh, r- really aggressive. So I drove that. And then the other Mercedes story, which is kind of a funny one. Last year, I bought Hannah a Mercedes 560 SL for a birthday. And uh, that car proved to be a little too unreliable. You know, it was one of those, I guess Mercedes fall into a few categories, but the one we'd bought obviously had too many owners and quite a bit of what I would call deferred MacGyvered maintenance. So yeah, yeah. there were squeaks and rattles and drones that we just couldn't get rid of. And long story short, we ended up taking it back to the independent specialist dealer and said, hey, you know, can we change it? Can we swap it for something of a similar price point, similar vintage. And long story short, that was what we ended up trading into a 1975 Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow, Yeah. which, of course, everyone said, don't do that. You know, You're, run as fast as you can. You just got rid of can. something un- because it was unreliable. <laughs> and, and you ended up with that. Yeah, we're a sucker for punishment. There's nothing more expensive than a cheap Rolls-Royce. Huh. But fingers crossed and touch wood, ours has proved to be other than a few little electrical gremlins we had to begin with, surprisingly reliable and a 
really, really enjoyable drive. You know, there's something really stately and, you know, you're sort of going down the road in a straight line, but your hands are moving on the wheel and you're bouncing up and down and everything's antiquated and vague about it, but it sort of forces you to slow down and enjoy the journey a bit. It's kind of interesting. You talk about all these different cars that you had in the show and that you've been driving lately. And I think the takeaway from it is that there's all these different fun things that you can do and the different emotions. It's not always about ripping around, right? There's just different emotions that you can get from all these different tools that are built for different purposes. Exactly. You know, for me, the, over the past few years, the older I get, the, the the more that makes sense of enjoy the journey and the moments of where you're going in, the experiences of the car, the drive, and then, of course, the people, you know. And the Rolls-Royce is a classic example of that. So 45-year-old car that sort of looks a million dollars in a way, but, yeah, you can buy them in the teens. You can buy them for less, but, you know, if you want to have one that won't sort of, you know, really annoy you, they're somewhat reliable at that price point. And it's just a real sense of occasion. Um, and that's something that you can't really, it's hard to duplicate. You know, and there's something great about that Rolls Royce where no one looks at you like you're a douchebag, like you may get in a new Rolls Royce to some people. Everyone sort of is interested in it because it's all, it's a 45 year old car that still is, uh, it has a, a sort of presence to it, but doesn't offend. It creates Which a curiosity kind of a on thing. the onlooker too. Like, who is this person that's driving this car? Why are they driving this car? Yeah. You know, what's the story behind it? Because it, there's a reason for the person owning it in the first place. So you don't just have right. one of those. You don't just, it's not, it's not uh, a Camry, you know? Yeah. And well, we drive it quite often because that's the only way to keep it reliable. If you <laughs> let it sit for too long, then it doesn't start. So that's become the grocery getter. And it's amazing. Every stoplight we pull up is a conversation in that car whether you want it or not, but they're all positive. There's no, you know, no one's giving you the finger or, you know, asking for great poupon when you pull up in the road. <laughs> Everyone's sort of happy to see you in that car. And uh, That reminds so me of my Volkswagen cool rabbit days. That was the most uh, positive experience with interactions with people of any car I've ever had was an old Volkswagen rabbit because yeah, everybody I, knew someone that had one and they wanted to tell you that. about it. It was awesome. Yeah. It was just great. You know, recently I got back into E-Type Jags. I owned a Series 1 back in the 90s. And I, I recently acquired not one, but two. I kind of fall into things that way. And they're sort of the same type of thing. You know, everyone's sort of curious about them. And, you know, I, I guess I'm going down memory lane because recently I've started watching old 70s shows that I watched as a kid that got me in love with cars. You know, Starsky and Hutch, Rockford Files, stuff like that. And, Recently, I was watching Columbo, and you know, you see, you see these shows sat, set in the seventies when these cars were new. Everything that we're talking about now, and these these nostalgic images of them driving around New York or LA, and every car looked different. Today, you go out there and drive around, and almost every car looks the same, right? Kind of hard to tell one from the other. Whereas, you know, back in the seventies and even early eighties, I think cars were a lot more unique. They didn't, sh- you know, they weren't shared across multiple brand platforms where you remember you when you were really a kid you could see all those is. cars from the 70s and 80s you could look at the headlights and go in the dark you could be driving be that's one of those yeah, that's the game now, yeah. now i almost have no idea anymore it's just no like idea. i can't figure it out so you know i'm all about variety and you know back to the show for me it was just it it, it sort of was something i wanted to do for some time and also expand beyond you know i've owned a lot of cars that were non-portions but yet Everyone associates me for, I guess, obvious reasons as being a Porsche guy, but it's sort of nice to, to drive something that, that's not from Stuttgart or at least, you know, 
not the Porsche from Stuttgart. Do you think that all of the work you've done with creating content and being associated with, you know, Haggerty and doing the films and everything like that has kind of encouraged you to not, uh, not divest because you're not divesting yourself of 9-11s, but uh, expanding your horizons, I guess. Do you think you would have done all these different things and explored all these different cars if you hadn't got so into the media in the first place? Uh, well, not really. You know, back in the 90s, that uh, list of cars I went down, you know, when I sort of was able to afford to buy cars that I really wanted, like the first car I ever bought was a 1977 Toyota Corolla. It cost me 200 bucks. I bought it in 1988 took my California driver's license in that car. Second car I bought was a Saab 900 Turbo, probably around 1990, hence why I want a Turbo. And then the third one was the first Porsche. I bought that in 1992 at the Pomona Swap Meet. But in the 90s, like I mentioned earlier, I owned the two Super Bs. I had a 67 right. E-Type Jag. I had a 65 Mustang GT 350R replica with a Richmond 5-speed and a 351 Cleveland and a Detroit locker. And then I had a 73 Lotus Europa, and I also had a 79 308 GTB, all in this period of, call it, 92 through 2000. So back then, you know, my collection was more, it wasn't as big as it is now, but it was more varied in the sense of I had European sports cars and American muscle cars. And little by little over time, I just let, let go of everything that wasn't a Porsche because each one of those cars sort of excelled in one or two areas, but the Porsche sort of excelled in almost all areas of, drivability, practicality, affordability, reliability. And uh, so I'd always sort of had a variety of tastes, but then, you know, 2000s, 2010, that was when I sort of, you know, started really going down the slippery slope of Porsche ownership and obviously building and modifying and things like that. And then, you know, everything else you mentioned sort of happened of creating, I guess, content you'd call it or or films or, or doing whatever it was I did. But, you know, to me, that was just this hobby just kept steamrolling. It did, you know, one thing led to another. It wasn't like there was a master plan. It all started with Tamir's film in 2012, right. uh, Urban Outlaw. That sort of put me on the map and opened the door to invitations to go places and do relatively interesting things that would never have happened if it wasn't for that film. Do you, do you ever so, feel overwhelmed? Like you just, it's, it's too much? Or is it just something that you're, you're so passionate about that you don't really care? You just feel it? Yeah, I, I just, truth be told, I, I don't overthink anything. You know, there's no master plan. It's one day at a time. It's it's from one thing to the next. I mean, 2020 for me was the first time I'd sort of call it stepped off the roller coaster in seven or eight years. You know, prior to that, I was traveling, you know, and started dating Hannah, lived in New York, or she lived in New York. I spent a lot of time in New York. New York was a lot closer to Europe. So, you know, we'd go to Europe for a couple of days to do some car stuff from New York. That was something we would never have done from LA. So I'm rambling to get to this point, which I'm going to get to now. 2020 was basically, I, I didn't really go anywhere and I really enjoyed it. Prior to that, the, that time period from 2012 to 2020, I was barely in LA and I did so much interesting things, but never really had time to sit back, absorb, digest and let it marinate because you'd bounce from one event to the next. So I actually really enjoyed the the downtime of not having to travel. And I was able to do things that I'd wanted to do before, but always sort of said, oh, I don't have time to do it or I'm not in one place long enough to do it. You know, and some of it was just these simple things of doing an IG live. I mean, people would say to me, why don't you do your own podcast? You, you know, I've done a lot of them. 
you know, I'm on one now. I've done Rogan. I've done a bunch of them. Yep. And it was like, oh, how can I do that? I'm never in one place long enough. And then my buddy, Mr. Enthusiast in New York, said, we should just do an IG Live. And I'm like, wow, that's actually pretty simple. You can do it anywhere, right? Yep. You don't need to go get, you know, a microphone set up and a mixing board or however it is people podcast, right? And the interesting thing was back in probably April or May of last year, I'd done a few with my buddy Phil. And then I reached out to Ian Callum, the former Jag designer, who I sort of knew, and he agreed to do one. And that was a pivotal point because the one I did with him, people sort of took notice. And interestingly, within like 48 hours of doing one with Ian Callum, I started getting messages from Porsche, you know, why don't we do one with you? Why are you not asking us? And yeah. and then that kind of snowballed and I ended up doing one with Lamborghini and even did one with Gordon Murray. And, you know, people started calling me to do these things. And for me, it was just a way of occupying time. Uh, I think there was a shift before I was making videos, content, whatever you want to call it, about my own Porsches. The IG Live sort of shifted me out of that spotlight of, oh, he's just a Porsche guy talking about Porsches. But I'd always been a car guy, but people just sort of label me as, oh, he's a Porsche guy. So we won't bother him inviting him to a car launch. Or, you know, I didn't fit into this mold and I've never fit, with everything I've done, I've never fit into the category. But people don't know where to put me. You know, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a blogger. I'd never want to be called an influencer. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. But people wouldn't know where to put me in a category of, well, we don't. We can't really invite him to a car launch because you know he doesn't write for anybody, but he's got a big following. And you know, through the IG lives and a little bit before that, it had started that the tide was turning slightly. You know, it's like I've always liked Lotus. I used to own a Lotus Europa seventy three two and a half years ago. I bought that S two Esprit off a Bringer trailer. And you know, in the past couple of years, I've I've done a, not done things with Lotus, but they've loaned me cars, and now I've got this month-long loaner on the Avora GT, which I really like. So, you know, that's kind of way of this natural evolution of just expanding what it is I like to do, which is ultimately drive and have little adventures. And so you think I've you're going to get said, back on the roller coaster? Or are you going to kind of maybe get on and off the roller coaster now that you've kind of experienced what it's like to slow things down? I'm probably going to be more selective. Like in the past, I just said yes to go do any of these events because it was like, hey, I've never gone to XYZ I'm going to go there for four or five days, attend an event, do an outlaw gathering or whatever it is. And so I, I said yes to a lot of stuff and, and, and it sort of was great for five years. But then it got to the point, like I said, where my life became a little bit of what I call 530 second conversations, where people are, are kind of excited to, to meet me, which is great. But you end up having the same conversations over and over and over again. And a lot of times I'd go to these events and not necessarily see much of the event because I'd be having these, you know, 530 second conversations. Right. So I think the answer to your question is maybe I'm going to be a bit more selective as to where I go. Plus, hopefully this next big thing show gets picked up for more seasons, more episodes. We just shot six as like a pilot. Well, I thought it was cool. See- That's why I wanted to have you on is I want people to go see it. And uh, it sounds well, like I appreciate got- the support there. Yeah. You've I got mean- another one coming out tomorrow morning. So. Yeah, I've got a big list. I mean, you know, I started with like 50 cars and then narrowed it down to 12 and then down to six. But, you know, I've got all types of things on the list, like a BMW M Coupe or a Toyota MR2 or, you know, the Saab 900 Turbo. Or, I've got you know, the M Coupe guy for you. <laughs> I've oh, you got my, my buddy has a stock M Coupe. And uh-huh, he has and a modified one. Yeah, and then, and then he has a modified one, which he put a rear engine turbo on. Rear mounted. Oh, wow. Rear mounted oh, yeah. turbo. And yeah. he's like an engineer yeah. and just does 
everything. Active arrow. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you his account. It's incredible. It's like it's it's the coolest M coop contrast ever. It's it's super rare. Yeah. So something like that's intriguing to me. You know. So uh, I enjoyed doing this first batch. Hopefully, I get to do more of them because you know it's about experiencing different cars and also hearing people's stories, which I've always sort of been interested in. You know, I'm not so interested in the guy with a you know uh, high end car collection with cars that don't get driven. Right. I'd sooner you know talk to people with you know a million mile or three million mile you know Volvo P eighteen hundred or something. Right. Yeah. There's well, there's stories there when something is just sitting there. You know, I, I've said it. This is like an analogy I came up with last week that I keep telling people over and over again now. But if you have a hammer and it sits in the drawer, it is nothing but a a, a lump of wood and steel. It's yeah. it's nothing. It's not what its intended purpose was. It's it's sad. Right. I met this guy called Irv Griffin, and uh, I think he has recently passed away. But when I met him, probably five six years ago, he owned a Volvo P eighteen hundred. I think from nineteen sixty seven. That at the time he'd done two point eight million miles on it, and he held the Guinness Book of Records for the highest mileage privately owned single ownership non commercial car. And Volvo started documenting high mileage cars back in the 70s. And at that time, I guess he was a teacher living somewhere on the East Coast, commuting, I think it was 100 miles a day to work and back in this Volvo. So he racked up a lot of miles quickly. And he had 2.8 million miles documented on the original motor, which had been rebuilt four times. And this guy's story was incredible. He'd done 2.8 million miles on this car. And I think he actually reached 3 million miles. So you know, yeah. those are the type of things that I'm intrigued by. You know, you just kind of want to hear these guys' stories, right? It's just kind it's of a, a of demonstration of progress is not always necessary. <laughs> you know, no. I, I, I feel like progress is really an enemy lately of human civilization and cars too, of course. But just in general, is we why do we always have to keep doing more and moving forward and keep keeping on keeping on when you could just be satisfied with your Volvo with 3 million miles on it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great topic because, you know, I said earlier on today, I was talking to someone, I said, as long as you can still get oil and gasoline, I'm going to still keep running my antiquated internal combustion clunkers, right? And I use Jay Leno as the greatest example, the coolest car guy I've met. He still found a way to actually be able to maintain and occasionally drive a 1906 uh, Stanley steam car, right? Talk about obsolete technology. But he's still got it on the road. But it's a fine line between, you know, you have to evolve, otherwise you become sort of obsolete. But at the same time, you know, a perfect example is one of the last Porsches I bought was almost a year ago to the day. And I bought a, a 2002 996 GT2. And last year I drove all the new 992 Porsches. And I'll put it like this. The new 992 uh, Carrera SC2. So it's one step above base model, two-wheel drive, manual turbocharged has the same output as the king of the hill 2002 996 gt2 and it's like wow this is how far they've come like one step above base model is equivalent to the king of the hill from 20 years ago right well which did you enjoy driving more hmm. i enjoyed them both two completely different principles you know the way i mean like a carrera 2s is probably all the performance you need in a modern 992 right similar output to the gt2 but feels more usable and then you step up to you know the king of the hill current 992 turbo s it's got well over 200 more horsepower than a 996 gt2 four-wheel drive rear wheel steering all this stuff no loss of real traction no loss of sort of 
real power. Whereas the GT2, you've got to be real careful on how you apply the throttle. Otherwise, you're just spinning wheels and not really getting traction. So I guess the point I'm making is the new turbo sort of does everything better, but yet do you really need it? Right. You know, it's less engaging for sure. Well, where can people find out more about your uh, your Haggerty channel? Your Haggerty well, show. Well, you just... You just got a Haggerty's YouTube channel and it's called The Next Big Thing and it airs tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Or if you follow me on Instagram, you know, I'll just, there'll be a click link in bio on Instagram. Right Next on, man. Thing. Thanks for coming on and hanging out with us. Ah, my pleasure. It was good talking to you guys and uh, enjoy that snow out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. Take care of yourself, man. Yeah, you too. Cheers. Bye. Yep, bye. I really like his evolution away from Porsche, you know, right. I, it's, you know, I, I get, well, it seems like it's not even evolution. It's just maybe people didn't realize he's not just the Porsche guy. True. He's based, always based on his history. He's a huge cars and interesting, right. Interesting cars. What's, what's another thing we got a, we got a review on iTunes the other day. Yeah. It was two star review and it was just basically said just a bunch of rich douchebags driving their porches. Yep. P O R C H. Yes. Right. That's what we do. And, it, and I just go, it's not true. Chris, you are such a rich asshole. Oh, God. This, yeah, this is coming from the guy that I just complained the other day that I would never have a Vespa because I can't afford one. Um, I'm not a rich guy, but that, that, that part doesn't even bother me, no. but it's this pigeonholing. I mean, if you look at the variety of cars I've owned in the right. last two years, I would, I would definitely probably be labeled as Porsche guy. Yeah. But I also want to be known as guy who is willing to drive to North Dakota to get a Yugo and be Yugo guy for a little bit and AMG guy and uh 996 that blows out a tire guy yeah. and uh, just this guy I'm just for me I'm experienced guy yeah. I just want to have experiences I want to do things I want to you know, that's that's what it's all about for me and for like Magnus said this is one thing that the, the 911 is really good at is it is a excellent tool for it's very driving. Versatile. Yeah. It, it's very versatile. It's very reliable. It does what it does very, very, very well. And that's one of the reasons why I think I've been, you know, so in love with it. It's because when I got my uh, 72 originally and I got my SE, I was not a, I wasn't a Porsche guy then. No. Like I wasn't like, I do really something need, you aspired to. It's something I aspired by. I'm like, oh, I've, I've wanted to own one of these. Just right. like, just like all of the other cars that I've bought. I'm like, oh, I've wanted to own one of these. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't this huge, I need a 911. Everybody's got one. It's just, I want to try this. I want to experience this. Just even at the time I'd owned all kinds of different cars. Right. I just, I want to experience. It. And it just happened to be that I, the, the tool is excellent for what I do. It's yeah. perfect. I've really fallen in love with my car. You know, if I if I had five million dollars, I probably wouldn't buy a bunch of other cars. I would just have my car, but maybe have it. Maybe. I don't believe you. I would have. I don't. I don't like this uh, conversation because it gets trite and pathetic, and it's silly. <laughs> but I would only have probably have three or four cars. Right. I mean, otherwise, you're just a, a jerk with too many cars, with too many hammers in the toolbox. I there you go with that analogy. I like that. So That's it's a good just, way of it's, putting it. It's, you can only use one hammer. I mean, you have different hammers for different things. Sure, but you don't need. I, yeah, there you go. But you don't need four ball peen hammers. <laughs> right. You only need. <laughs> you only need one. On that note, guys, uh, head over to iTunes and leave us a good review. Let's wipe out the review of the porch. The porch review, where it says <laughs> the guy. The guy literally goes, "Anything with an LS is better." So this this guy's obviously got his own bias. I just need to talk about my C10 and Harley more. I don't know. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 I feel like we just we just talked about that stuff the other day. Anyway. 
we uh, we appreciate you guys are here. Um, that show that Magnus is talking about on Hangar is actually out today because this episode releases tomorrow. So that oh, that, so you'll out, get, yeah, so it's out today. Two episodes you'll have. You'll have two episodes. It's out right now. Make sure you go check out uh, Haggard's YouTube channel. It's interesting. Obviously, Magnus is interesting to hear from, so you can go check that out. Uh, we will see you guys on Monday. We've actually got Frank from Ed Pink Racing Engines coming on to talk about his time at Datsun, uh, Datsun Motorsports, and working at uh, working at Ed Pink, building engines for Singer and building an engine from the ACS. All this, uh, all this other cool stuff. So we're going to talk to him on Monday. We're uh, we'll we'll see you then. Awesome. Take care, guys. <laughs>